Hey, Exponential Family, this is Myron and Ralph again for the Practical Multiplication Conversation. Uh, we have been, um, you know, excited about the conversations we've been having with leaders from across the country. And uh, today is no different. We have a, a friend uh, that is doing and leading uh, some pretty cool things that you're actually going to have to get out your notebook and grab some coffee uh, because today's conversation around the next generation is going to encourage you. Ralph, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm on vacation, having a good time, just hanging out with my wife. Uh, we're you know, in the those desert. Ex those exponential people are crazy. They want you to host stuff on your vacation. I have no, <laughs> I just don't understand that. <laughs> anyway, we do have a friend's name's Ed Kang, and uh, we're going to just first start out today's conversation, Ed. Uh, just introducing yourself, tell us who you are, what you're leading, and then uh, maybe one cool thing God has said to you in the last 36 hours. Oh, man. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, it's an honor to be here. Um, uh, really neat to be able to do something like this uh, over Zoom, and I feel uh, like... Uh, I feel like I should just ask these guys a lot of questions and learn, but I guess I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be featured today. So, um, gosh, where do I begin? Um, I, um, so personally, I, I started out uh, at, at, in bivocational collegiate ministry, just uh, a guy out of college, just discipling guys uh, on campus. I happen to have been living in the Bay area and uh, there's a church uh, at Berkeley with a lot of Berkeley students. And then, um, and then it, it kind of, uh, grew to a point where we started planting churches and um, I started to lead out in that um, in the early 90s and uh, been there since and been sending out teams since then. Um, boy, to, to past 36 hours, what has God been saying to me? Well, I mean, one thing is uh, I, was doing my, I was doing my daily devotions in, in uh, Isaiah 40 um, and he um, says, like, like, look at the stars, who created all these? And um, like Ralph, I happen to be on vacation. So uh, if, I, if I turn that way, I'm looking at the, the Potomac River in Maryland, uh, where cicadas are about to come in like a week or two. So I'm going to run away from that. But um, and I thought, man, like how much we um, neglect um, asking the who question when, whenever we see a tree or something, you know, it's like, like who created all these, you know, and, and just from creational realities to become devotional and grateful and I was really hit by that, how I'm so, um, so focused on tasks and even the mission that um, I know I, I sound like St. Francis of Assisi or something, but there's a, there's a source of devotion and worship and gratitude there that I felt really convicted that I was neglecting. So, mm. yeah. That's amazing, man. You know, I was checking you out online. I, I see some really cool things happening. Tell us about how the story began in 1981 for Ed Kane. Um, I was a freshman at UC Berkeley. <clears throat> and um, during those days, um, I, I'm Korean American. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not very culturally attuned to, you know, my Koreanness. I was, what, fourth grade when I immigrated. Uh, but I'm bicultural and bilingual. And uh, in 81, um, Throughout the land, um, there was uh, the first beginnings of the uh, second generation Korean Americans 
second generation Asian Americans who had cultural barrier and linguistic barrier with the, the parental generation. And um, there's something about the intensity of the immigrant church uh, that I cherished um, and um, I wanted dearly to kind of plant into the next generation and realized that I was one of the few who could do that. Like literally I looked around, there's really not that many people who could, um, who could lead out in the second generation. And so just by accident of history and birth, like I found myself one of the older ones uh, in, the, in the next crop of English speaking um, Asian Americans. And so um, that was our, our thing on the Berkeley campus. Um, and, then, and then I think, I guess we realized, wow, this is like such a narrow niche. Nobody's looking at this. It's, on, it's not on anybody's radar. And if we're gonna experience some of the things that we were experiencing on the Berkeley campus, uh, or, we, or we want other people at other campuses to experience this. So because that, that powerful experience of having a bunch of um, that group be present on a campus and we realized like, wow, we don't have to like go find them. They're all, they're all on campus somewhere. And so that started our sort of church planting vision, although we didn't know to call it that back then. So, you know, Ed, we were talking a little bit earlier and um, I had asked you a question because I had a little experience with the, the Korean church in Los Angeles. Um, I, I met a couple of younger pastors that were trying to plant churches and they were getting pushback over the, uh, the issues of tradition. And, um, you know, that what they were doing was uh, violating the churches that already exist and they aren't big enough and, and, you know, why would you start another church because of all that? But you experienced a different kind of pushback a little bit. Uh, tell us about that, because that's a that's a cultural thing that uh, probably is a little bit more um, a product of Asian culture in an immigrant uh, situation. But uh, I think our listeners, uh, we got somebody on from Argentina today. Uh, they're going to want to hear some things that are, you know, a little bit out of the box for them. Yeah, so um, the, the pushback that you referred to, Ralph, we, we experienced that plenty. And um, I think that's, um, that's, that's sort of part of the reason why I think um, we started to realize, wait, we need to reach everybody. Um, if you're overly um, targeting a, a narrow niche and somebody else comes into town targeting that niche, like there is that sense of feeling threatened and like, look, there isn't enough to go around for the both of us. Like, why are you here? Why don't you go over there? You know, and, and we see that kind of petty territorialism everywhere. Um, so, you know, pretty soon in our, in our journey, we realized, no, we need to reach the whole campus. Um, and um, right now um, in, in our system wide outside of California, because California, a lot of the universities are actually plurality Asian. Um, a lot of the UCs, they're, more Asians than Caucasians or any other group. Uh, but outside of California, we've been uh, seeing uh, majority non-Asian. So definitely that, that whole shift is beginning to happen for our tribe. Uh, but the pushback that we got from uh, our, the parents, and it is Asian, but then more and more, it's, it's everybody too. Um, it's careerism. You know, you send your children to these good schools and you pay, you know, an arm and a leg for tuition. And then, you know, they get mixed up with some fanatical church and they're next thing they're talking about missions or church planting or, and, um, and that's, that's very threatening for the parents. And so we've gotten a lot of, um, a lot of family strife, um, a lot of discouragement from the young people who want to be, you know, flat out for God. And, you know, we're not going to starve, but um, 
particularly the immigrant generation, you know, they're still in very much uh, survival mode, even though reality might be that they can kind of relax a little bit on that. And so we get a lot of, um, a lot of family persecution uh, of, of our young guys and as well, as well as me personally. <laughs> so you, you kind of describe yourself as a 1.5 generation. Uh, take us through the cycle of what happens to an immigrant culture in terms of post-immigration. You got, you know, the in in, in Japan, uh, Issei, Nisei, you know, Sansei, Yonsei. Uh, each each generation has its own distinctives, and we need to reach each a little bit differently with the gospel. And that would probably there's probably parallels to other immigrant cultures. Hmm. Um. I think um, for the most part, it's um, uh, Asian Americans have assimilated fast and um, they take on uh, the, gosh, I, I don't want to unnecessarily use um, lo- loaded language, but I, I don't know what else to say it like, like the majority culture, majority culture. I was going to say dominant culture. That's from my Marxist undergrad education. So anyway, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the majority culture, they take on the values of the majority culture right away. And, um, and so I don't see like, you know, in, in the context of, of, um, of, of discrimination, I think um, the, the groups uh, huddle together more. And so for, for certain uh, ethnic leaders, it's almost like they're hunting for persecution uh, for Asians. And uh, yeah, to be sure, you know, there's, there's definitely that for sure, but I don't think it's a, a dominant enough experience to uh, really um, carve out Asian American second generation or third generation uh, into something so distinctive that a uh, unique um, evangelistic or, or ministry model uh, would be appropriate for them. I think uh, what we found is uh, just a simple gospel, just the simple primary colors of the gospel is what everybody needs. And uh, we're, not, we don't, we're not finding that we're shaping it or coloring it in any way. Uh, at least not intentionally, uh, and it, it doesn't seem like there's anything, any formula that that works. Um, you know, it, it's so everything from you know the food to you know that that vague word vibe. Uh, mm-hmm. um, it's really more of a generational vibe uh, with the Asians. Um, you know, they tend to be you know kind of um, hipster and and kind of with it. You know, it's they're not. Um, they're not anymore marginalized or feel themselves to be uh, very foreign or alien. Um, so on the whole, um, I, I don't think there's a distinctive approach uh, toward that generation that uh, we've needed to adopt or, or even, um, even discovered. Um, I, I just don't think there is any. That's good. That's good. You know, I was interested in, um, in, in I, I mean, we want to just hear what you guys are doing, your strategy. But I, I was, I was you know, looking up what's going on online with Grace Point, and I saw a really interesting uh, thing that said, is Grace Point a cult? And then I, so I, I, I clicked on it, and you guys had put it up, and it was an entree into your website. Uh, that, that was really very, very clever. I was, <laughs> I was very impressed with that. Well, it was an autocomplete uh, on Google. Uh, and so we um, we have a lot of um, um, I mean we're we're always uh, soul searching about uh, the wake of our ministry and um, we um, are always trying to be um, like kind of aware of online criticism and so we thought 
I mean, we were advised not to engage online criticism if it's anonymous, and it's a little bit of like airing our dirty laundry for the world to see. And so, uh, but we wanted our voice there, and we wanted to just say, "Hey, like, if you, you know, please talk to us, please engage us." And so that was that effort. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, I find I find that very very um, innovative. Actually, I think uh, like a lot of times we, you know, it's easy to steer away from criticism or it's easy to steer away from feedback, but to, to lend yourselves to leveraging um, the questions people are asking, I think is, 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 is genius. And, and which I think is another question I have uh, knowing that we're, we're still, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic in some places. And, uh, you know, I noticed that there's a heavy online, you know, presence that you have, so what are you what have you learned as a leader um, when it comes to leveraging technology um, so that the next generation, you know, hears the gospel, receives the gospel and, and ultimately gets on that pathway to a disciple making? What are you doing to leverage? Yeah. What have you learned? Um, man, I've learned. Um, I've learned not to make blanket statements about technology. Um, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a Luddite, and um, I think the Luddites were onto something when they went in and started destroying machines, you know. So um, I, uh, I was an early adopter. I, I had the U.S. Robotics um, Palm Pilot and remember that and learn how to write in that weird thing. And, and, then, I, and then I got off that uh, and um, took a hard turn away from uh, that kind of technology for myself. So I don't have Twitter. I don't have any of those things. I have a flip phone. Uh, and so I used to get cranky about online ministry because we're all about X2. We're all about face-to-face and in each other's homes. We're really all about homes. Open your homes and just show, um, show lost people and, and show uh, young, young college students that a, a happy home uh, is, is, is one of the fruits of, of gospel living. And so we're all about face-to-face. And, and then this happened. And uh, I, think, I think, you know, more than some of those lifestyle values, I think, was um, gospel values. And so we, we took a, a, a very quick pivot, and uh, we have a lot of tech people at our church, so we're able to pull it off fast. And now where we are is we're, we're trying to learn on the, on, as we go, but it's definitely not going away. Um, we, we've experienced um, people opening up online uh, in ways uh, far beyond uh, what we experience uh, face-to-face. Um, we're getting um, a lot of fruitful uh, mentoring and, um, and uh, evangelistic Bible studies going. Uh, so uh, we feel like, man, we better be careful not to pivot back to just uh, the way things were. Like this online thing, we have to staff for it and we have to keep that going. And I feel pretty convicted about that. As for getting traction and effectiveness, uh, we're just starting. We're novices. So we're trying to learn get good content out there. Uh, but we, we think that for us, uh, because we are on so many campuses, it'll also uh, feed off of each other as well, I think. You know, even for those of you who are watching or, or you know, are going to catch the replay, what we're really learning about Ed Kang and, and Grace Point is the story behind what God's doing there. But then also he's doing something pretty special when it comes to the next generation, I want us to capture what he said. Uh, number one, technology, like technology is not going away. 
it, it, it really isn't. In fact, if we look at the next generation, they are in spaces, you know, marketing one-on-one is don't sell where there's no audience. Don't And not only don't sell where there's no audience, don't sell where there is no demand for what you're selling. That's just, just dumb. Right. And so we, we, we have to realize that it's not going away. But another thing that Ed said is, is like, we, we have to continue to learn, learning, you know, about technology, where is it pivoting to what platforms are people on, et cetera. But then also I hope you, I hope you caught what he said. He said that we have a lot of tech people in our congregation. And when when COVID hit and every church had to pivot, all of a sudden us professionals became the novices. And then those who were the professionals in our congregations became the heroes in our churches. And 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 I love it because I bet it correct me if I'm wrong. Those people have come to life in your church. Oh yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's the, the the revenge of the nerds, man. It's like all, <laughs> they are so in demand and they feel so fulfilled. And then the artists, the ones who can who can draw and paint and and put stuff online, and it's been exciting to see them deployed with their gifts in a way that face to face ministry doesn't, because face to face ministry actually favors the social, the attractive, yeah. the winsome, and um, you know, and and these guys are putting out really, really good material online that I think will be a resource for our church for a long time to come. Yeah, that is so powerful. Now, now, Ed, you said we're all about Acts 2. Mm-hmm. Tell us how that, that vision, that ethos has impacted your church and then the communities that you're serving. Um. You know, it's it's not like we discovered Acts two. Um, what we what we were was a bunch of college students trying to love each other, and mm. then I I was one of the fewer you know guys a couple of years out of college uh, with with some money to spare, you know, and uh, just discovered that I just wanted to feed them, you know, just a way, just a it's just table fellowship. It's so universal, and. Mm. Uh, and then um, something about the college campus gives you the dailiness that Acts 2 describes. Daily, they were gathering together in each other's homes. And there's something very flattening about the college experience where you can be from whatever background. Everybody has about the same amount of stuff. Everybody lives in a tiny dorm room. So the economic disparities or background disparities are muted. I mean, they're there, but they're muted. And you, you're able to relate to each other as freshmen, as sophomores or whatever. And so there's that. So, so the college campus gives you sort of the ideal infrastructure on which to overlay discipleship. And, and lo and behold, you've got an Acts 2 community with dailiness and sharing everything. And everybody's stressed and pulling all-nighters because they procrastinated. And um, that forges relationships. And then, and then when, you, when you put discipleship and, and Christian camaraderie on top of it, then, and then one day we realize, oh, my goodness, we have something really special um, let's not grow up, man. Let's not grow out of this. Let's not go our separate ways. Uh, why do that? We know what, how, that, uh, how that goes. You know, one of you goes to New York. One of you goes to L.A. One of you goes to San Francisco. And it's like all, everybody scatters. Like, why do that when we have mm-hmm. something so joyful? And, and so I think the first round of, 
uh, graduates who didn't leave, but uh, intentionally stayed around and, and got forged together. Uh, that was the beginning of, and then we sort of looked back and we said, wait a minute, we're reading this magical description of the Acts 2 church and we're not that far, we're not that far from it. I mean, we live this way. And so we thought, hey, maybe this is something we have to duplicate. And wow. because there was such joy in that life, I mean, it's fun. It is, it is fun to do life together with people um, who decide like, okay, we're going to simplify our lives. We're not going to go for, you know, accumulation and, and uh, career ladder climbing. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stay together and we're going to be happy together and, and raise children together. And, mm. and, so, and so when we started to, to do that, then the joy of that gave us the motivation to, oh, I can see us like moving together in a group of, of friends and duplicating this at another campus. And the campus is just the beginning, but really what, what, we're, what we're counting or you know, what, what, we're, what we're shooting for is the, the church five years after the plant. Yeah. When, when the first graduates start staying and rooting themselves in the ministry on that campus and with each other to be that Acts 2 community, then the flywheel gets going. Mm. Wow. So what would you say to the rest of us um, that, you know, that we don't have the unifying factor of campus life, but we recognize the, val the validity of what you're saying and the fact that Acts 2 probably is the archetype of what the church is supposed to look like? Um, just any, any advice that you would pass along to us. And then I have a little a secondary question. How, how has technology fitted itself into the Acts 2 experience? Because for you folks, it obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so to, to the first um, advice, oh my gosh, I don't know. Like, if you're, if you're considering planting a church in some city, um, please consider a campus. Um, we're at all these campuses. You know, the fact is you're going to reach how many you're going to reach. Uh, what you're capable of. Uh, just because a campus is big doesn't mean, so I, I'm always challenging people, look, come to one of our campuses, one of our UCs, one of our big Midwestern campuses will help you set up shop. And like, we need more church-based collegiate ministry. And not to denigrate what crew or InterVarsity or the parachurches are doing, but that has its limit. And we've seen that the best way to do collegiate ministry perhaps is through church and planting for that purpose and not getting distract distracted uh, with with others, and uh, you just wait uh, four or five years, and you're gonna you're gonna have the, the the greatest ownership people who who have deep stakes in your ministry. Uh, and during those four years, and of course, they eat more than they put into the offering back. So the financial piece of it is a little bit challenging for sure. Um, but but of course, that's that's a high bar in terms of like um, trying to trying to tackle that. But but if if you if you can, I I, I seriously. Um, ask you to consider that and um, love to host anybody who wants to uh, come and visit as well. Uh, my email is basically edkang at gmail.com. So it's my name at gmail.com. Um, the other advice I would have for the church at large, I'm going to say something grandiose, like the church in America. Um, you know, as a bicultural person and with an Asian background, one thing I, I discover about um, 
the, the cultural blindness of Americans, especially American Western, Western males, is that um, is this individualism. And I know enough ink has been spilled talking about that, but um, a church planting as an individualistic heroic effort to go there and it, like, it's the hero's journey. You know, you go there and you, you, you slay the dragon, you know? And um, I just don't think that's been working out. And um, the model of church planting that we've experienced is uh, our leaders don't have great leadership. Uh, they're not very charismatic. They just, they just love people and know how to create some community around themselves and in their homes. And all they're doing is, hey, let's go and do this on a campus uh, and love some college students. Um, I think the church, uh, I mean, it's getting, I, I don't need to, 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 to say this hardly to, to this audience, like it's getting harder and harder. You know, uh, the same bag of tricks are not returning the same results anymore. And the prospect of, um, you know, one church, one like talented church planter going out there and pulling this off uh, still happens, but that can't be our model. I think uh, that that's to be celebrated, but that's a, a striking individual that uh, probably is, is, is gifted in multiple ways. Um, church planting has got to be like, it, it can't, it can't have such a high bar. And I think um, a more communal, more acts to approach where we already love each other. We're already a church. Let's just then intentionally go and, and duplicate this somewhere else. Um, I think that's a model of church planting that I think really deserves to, to be looked at, whether that happens in a collegiate context or not. That's good. Now, um, as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about um, what we, we do to so many people. I, I have a personal conviction that the guy who's the extremely gifted, you know, helicopter into some location and boom, there's a couple thousand people there probably has an apostolic gift. And a lot of the people who are planting churches have a pastoral gift or a teaching gift or something else. And and so we kind of put everybody into this little mold and you have to try to imitate this person and, and hope for those kind of results, which discourages an awful lot of people. And what you're saying about community and, and, a, and a culture of community is... Uh, it's pretty easy to adapt that to wherever you are. And when we started so many years ago, it was my wife and I alone. That's not a, a, a good idea. And we, we would have friends for two hours on Sundays. And then we were alone during those first few months. It was, it was very harsh. And, uh, and then the Lord sent um, three little pockets of people into our church. This one, so when we're about 80 to 90 people, uh, there's really four groups of 20. And I, and, and I looked at it as First Corinthians, you know, you're all divided. And, and those guys, you know, I'm supposed to be the leader here. Why are those guys seen as leaders? And, you know, and I resented it. And felt like the Lord really took me to the woodshed over that and, and said that he had sent those people. And my role was to become a spiritual father in their life and then let them be the fathers to the rest of the people in the church. And so I was actually rejecting the, the, the community, rejecting the, the help that he had sent along. And once I was willing to humble myself a little bit, things began to, to happen. And 
And then I really strongly identify with what you said about not having a lot of charismatic leaders. We, we have a few of those that have come out of the years of experience. I'm not one of those. Um, but in, in a way, they become almost, and, and I don't want to take away from them because I love them and I appreciate what they do, but they become almost a threat to everybody else. Uh, because it's like, oh, now I need to emulate Mike's success or something like that. And um, there, there's just room for a whole lot more of us in, in ministry than and I think that our structures have made room for. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you've bridged into, uh, during the COVID thing particularly, uh, but utilizing technology. You referenced it earlier, but but how how... Because because of the pushback I get, which I don't I don't um, believe in, is well you can't be relational over Zoom, and everybody's got Zoom fatigue and all that. But the churches I see that are thriving are are now, are now hybrids where they're beginning to meet personally, but in face to face. They're but they're really utilizing Zoom in in an Acts two fashion. Kind of speak into that. Yeah, you know, um, I, I get Zoom fatigue as well. Um, I, I, I get it, in, not that I have Zoom fatigue, but I, I, I understand that p- people experience that. And that's because um, I think work and everything and school is turned into Zoom. But it's, it, I think a lot of it's what you do on Zoom. You know, it's like, you know, if I'm, if I'm FaceTiming my grandson, I, like that doesn't feel fatiguing at all. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I, I don't know if everybody knows the story of Alpha. I mean, uh, Alpha is like all about in the home and face to face, and yet when they had to go online, it exploded. So, I think those are uh, kind of um, uh, t- too quick uh, of, of, of uh, a way to dismiss online. I think it's challenging. I think it's exciting. I think there's an opportunity there. Uh, I think the church is too late on it, and I think uh, if the pandemic would uh, wake us up to this new reality, uh, I think we have to we have to face it. I mean, the church has always been on the cutting edge of technology, you know, the printing press and on and on. And so uh, I don't think it's either or. And I think whenever people put these dichotomies, it, you, you, like you feel like, oh, if, if I'm for online ministry, then I must not be for in-person. Like, no, it's, it's, it's both. And um, I think it's crazy for us, especially if we're, uh, if we're anguishing about the numbers of nuns rising among Gen Z, like we, we have to engage them. And I think there's probably um, an, an insecurity there, a generational insecurity. But what I find is that um, the, the online stuff is ultimately uh, something that's fairly easy to learn. And then the content that you deliver and the engagement that's possible online just is the same as in person. You have to be real and it's not like old people are not welcome online and it's not like leaders have nothing to do online. I, th- I think it's, it's, a, it's a cross-cultural thing if you're not in it that you have to learn, but we're trying to learn fast. And uh, I, don't think, uh, I don't think it's optional. I mean, we have to, or we're going to become very irrelevant. Really mm. good. Hey, hey Ed, um, can, you, can you speak to uh, when you when you talk about establishing, you know, Acts two communities on campuses, can you can you walk us through the the process of that? So uh, maybe you know you know when a, when a when a person first comes to Christ or and they start connecting with com- your community and 
of the church, the church community, and they start to sense a call. Like walk us through how um, someone would ultimately emerge into that type of leadership. Um, okay. So um, two, two parts of that question, I think like sort of how, how we get, how we get planted and then sort of the pathway for, for to develop leaders. So the how part of it is um, somewhat evolving um, always, but the, the formula, like, you know, as much as the world has changed, there's something about the college campus that has not. And we're always thinking about uh, what if it suddenly does? And we, 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 we think about those things, but so far they're present um, in, 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 a, in a very geographically defined, like you run into them. I mean, they're there um, and they're there for four years and they still show up and uh, they're looking for friends and they're looking uh, for a cause to join and they're uh, asking fundamental questions. Uh, so in some ways, the college uh, campuses have, have stayed pretty stable in terms of some of those patterns. And, and so when we, when we show up, we show up as yet another group recruiting freshmen to their thing, whatever their thing might be, their cause, their frat, their club. And, um, and, and it, it's, 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 it just starts from there. Um, hey, get to know us. Um, you know, we have, we have a, a collegiate focused Sunday service. Um, so those are some of the ways. Apologetics, uh, doing special talks uh, on campus uh, and tackling some of those questions. Uh, that's another tool that we use a lot. In terms of um, a freshman entering the door and turning into a church planter, um, I, I've tried to I've tried to understand our own process. Um, it's uh, we don't really you know we're not as systematic as some other churches that'll, that can kind of pull out a, a flow chart at this point. Uh, I think it's it's culture. It's it's sort of um, well, it's at a point where um, guys um, a couple of years out of college all are thinking about wanting to go on a church plant. So this latest round, 2021. Um, we're, we're at 19 cities existing right now, um, and each of these cities, some of them a couple of campuses, and we're doing 12 new uh, in 2021. So all of the teams have been formed and they're itching to go, and it's five campuses in the Midwest and uh, seven campuses uh, for in the, in, from New England uh, down, to, down to Philly. And um, it's, it's kind of odd, but I'm at a point where I need to sort of comfort the ones who want to go, you know, they, they have FOMO and it's like, Hey, we got to hold on the fort too. You know, there's like a lot of good work here too. So the, the value and the culture is uh, me and my friends, I want to go plant a church somewhere. Um, now, because it's sort of in the culture and in the language and there isn't a, a program, we don't have a very, um, we don't have a vetting process for who gets to be on a church plant team and uh, who gets to lead a church plant team is whoever is leading right now. And our structure changes a lot. Sometimes we're in class structure. There's a freshman class, sophomore class leader. Uh, and then sometimes we'll just do um, what we call home groups, which is, you know, a little bit larger than uh, like your, your cell ministry or small group, maybe 20, 30 people groups. Um, 
And um, whoever is leading in, in that capacity will then just go to another, another city, another campus and lead in that similar capacity. And each team is maybe um, a dozen or so. Um, I think under 10 would be considered a pretty small team and over 15 would be considered a large team. And um, they'd go mix of um, uh, young couples and singles and um, people in their 30s with little toddlers and uh, they'll, they'll get jobs in a new place. And it's, it's, it's predominantly bivocational, uh, the people who are going, so they'll get jobs there. Um, and um, the, the pipeline isn't so um, defined and stages aren't defined, but it's sort of a natural outgrowth. Like we don't have such a driven church planting like goal, you know, like want to reach, reach like hundred campuses by, you know, it, we're, we're not that systematic. Well, what it is, is I just feel like as part of discipleship, because I think in the, in the, in the typical uh, church setting, um, like when, when you have somebody become a, a Christian, what's next for them, you know? Uh, well, I guess, you know, you need to know your Bible. Okay. So I've read the Bible a couple of times, like what's next for me. And um and, and, and it's, it's the volunteer concept, right? Like, okay, you help us run this big enterprise uh, called our church by contributing small bits of time that, you know, somebody's going to piece together. And, um, and so no wonder, like, we're so anxious to develop some theology of work because, like, where, where else are you going to glorify God? I guess through your work because that's where you are 40, 60, 80 hours a week. Uh, whereas um, the way I look at it, the, the next stage in discipleship is you have to make disciples. You have to go and reach some, some lost people and you need to love them and you need to show them how to mature in Christ. And, and then you need to keep doing that. And then what's the next stage? Well, let's, let's like, we're kind of saturated here and then we have more workers than we know what to do with. So why don't you go? Because if every one of your convert becomes somebody who wants to make disciples, right? Um, there's going to be a point at which you're not bringing in enough people for everybody to disciple, uh, and okay, so let's let's go get sent, and we sort of duplicate the um, Acts uh, Book of Acts story, and so for me, church planting is not the ultimate goal. Um, it's the, the or it's the outcome of the next stage in discipleship. Otherwise, what are we asking of our our guys who are getting discipled? Is like eventually you're just going to sit there, um, and um, be, and and kind of help me. Uh, become a more successful audience church. So um, I want to take them seriously. I want to respect them. And we don't have a, you know, we're, we happen to be Southern Baptists. And one of the things I appreciate about our tribe is uh, we don't have huge requirements uh, for um, people to go to seminary and get ordained before they can do stuff. And um, I think that's made us agile because uh, today's day and age, people don't care about your credentials. They, they care about like, are you adding value? Are you like, do you have the competency? And um, so I think um, guys who are leading at home, you know, doing exactly what they need to be doing out there. Um, I think they, they have a proven track record. And so that's sort of our, our path. So we, we, we have a lot of eager people and, and not enough really good leaders, but I think the eager people going out together and kind of figuring it out is sort of our approach. You know, yeah, this is wow. a, very refreshing conversation. Yes. Because you, you just described what I've lived most of my life. But as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I get the sense that 
you probably doubled down a little more on disciple making than we ever did. Um, we thought we did, but when I listen to you, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm in awe of this. And uh, I, I think I would like to come and visit. I just would like to, to learn. Uh, but as, as the other thing that, that strikes me is, is pretty incredible is that you have 12 churches on deck at one time. Um, and and, and the, the, the conflict that I feel when I try to express myself and what we've done is I always feel like I'm, I'm bumping up against the, the listeners, the pastors who would like to plant churches need for some sort of a system. And we didn't have a system. We made a culture. Mm. But you're, you've described a culture, but your culture seems to be m- more productive than mine. And, and as I'm hearing it, I, I think that, that you probably were a little more effective in, in, in really teaching everyone. We thought we did, but, you know, looking back, I, I, can, you know, I can see all the holes in what I did. Everybody can. The weaknesses. But... Um, but the but the strength of the bivocational, we we slowed ourselves down by trying to raise a lot of money. We were trying to start mid-sized churches. We're looking for 150 to 200 people in whatever city we went to, and then we'd write a pretty big budget, and not not the the quarter million dollars that I'm hearing flashed around today, but a pretty big budget that would include a full-time salary, and I, we didn't really take advantage of the bivocational uh, piece. You're working with people who are university graduates, uh, in many cases, top-level universities. So they're probably, their job demands are pretty high. But I, I get the feeling that the community takes up for the busyness in people's lives. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say something like really probably controversial and provocative. but um, Good. We love it. I, 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 I think uh, the, the, the word careerism um, is a word we should use more. Um, it's an idolatry. Um, and, uh, and to think that I know where this comes from. And I mean, I can nerd out about this, you know, uh, from the reformers, you know, and they were living in Christendom and they didn't have an idea of evangelism or disciple making. Um, they were trying to, you know, break down the, the orthodoxy of the priesthood. And, and so they ended up saying something brilliant, like, you know, the street sweeper at his broom is doing something as sacred as the priest at his whatever. And um, there's truth in that for sure. Um, I don't want to denigrate uh, the hard work of just ordinary people working. That's, that glorifies God. But so does, uh, so does chewing food glorify God. I can do everything to the glory of God. So when you've said, hey, that glorifies God, in the, at the end of the day, you haven't said much. Like you've said a lot, but you need to say more than that. You can't end there. Okay, we're glorifying God, but what about the fall? Uh, what about the lost people? What about the mission? What kind of uh, time are we in? Are we in a, in a period of urgency? Uh, harvest is plentiful, workers are few. Well, that sounds like an emergency. I mean, if that happens in a nation, they mobilize the army uh, to harvest because they don't want the harvest to go to rot. And so um, we make no apologies for putting career uh, on on the on the, um, on the on the second burner, it's not it's not our priority. Uh, I, I say that if you, I say that you better not be the lamest guy on your team at work. Then you got to downgrade your work so that you can be like one of the best without it killing you, right? So um, I mean, when I was a lawyer and I was I was um, about burning out, uh, I took a pretty, pretty I took a twenty thousand dollar pay cut. 
this was back in the days when I was, you know, young in late twenties. And, um, I, you know, I got by on, on not a lot of sleep, but still I, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a lower level job because I was doing pretty high level uh, illegal work. I took a $20,000 pay cut and did, you know, real estate law for a, a real estate developing company. I went in-house as, a, as we say in law, and that gave me a, a nine to five job. So it's possible for you to intentionally dial that down because you have your hands on that dial and everybody thinks you got to dial that to the max and then see how much time you have, you, you have left. Well, we dial that down to a moderate level where we can be good, valuable workers. We don't believe in stealing from the employer, right? You got to put in good, solid work, but then not be so stressed out so, and be so consumed by it that you can't engage in meaningful ministry, you know? And the vast majority of our world, you know, they, they just get so burnt out by just the, how difficult modern day life is, frankly, that church is this sort of therapeutic place you come to, to get healed and to, oh, God loves you and you're okay. And, and, and then you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I, I get to go do it all over again. But that's right. our choice. I like to, that's totally our choice. And um, because we start early, you know, before bad habits get in there, because, you know, college students are brave, you know, they, you know, their parents pay for their tuition and they get financial aid and they could talk a, a brave talk about how they're not going to get materialistic. Well, there's value in that kind of radical talk if you then don't make some, some serious uh, mistakes early on and say, oh, okay, so that's how my life is going to look like. And so the early decisions about career and job and mortgage are made in light of uh, the larger a sort of sense of identity that I'm to be a minister. I'm to be uh, about, about kingdom work. Mm. You know, another thing that I'm hearing you say, because when you mentioned that about those brave statements and, and the idealism of youth, we were looking for 30 year olds to go out and plant churches. I, I think uh, you've, you've, you're tapping into a vein that is uh, extremely a rich, rich seam in terms of, of mining what the Lord has built into his family. It's very exciting. The, the youthfulness of the people you're sending out. At, at 25, you have a lot less encumbrances than you do at 30. Yeah. Um, just the, we do actually, um, there isn't an, an age limit or, or anything that we've developed, but definitely um, our team leads are in their 30s. Like the youngest guys are 30 going out this, this year. Okay. Um, so, so they have, um, because I think it just takes that long for them to get really tested uh, in the context of ministry, but the vast majority of the team members would be uh, in, in their mid-20s. Yeah, mm. Mm. yeah I, I, there's a question in the audience about, you know, the Acts 2 philosophy, the Acts 2 ethos, um, and how you, keep, how, how you maintain that culture without allowing the Sunday driven experience to be the central picture. Like how do you, how do you make sure that the Acts 2 culture doing life together, disciple making, outcome being church planting, how do you make that stay the main thing without being given into that Sunday morning event driven kind of consumerism deal that we have going on here in the United States? You know, I don't know. I, I, cause I've, I've never fought that battle. Um, 
I feel, I feel uh, spoiled. I feel uh, like any pastor I meet um, uh, deals with issues that like would require character maturity that I admire uh, because those battles have to be fought. Um, we just accidentally discovered college ministry and church life overlapping a hundred percent. We didn't have families come, you know, once you're a collegiate thing, families don't feel comfortable. They don't come. And then, but now we have, um, you know, grandparents in our congregation, but they all uh, have that collegiate experience that forged us together. And so we have 50 year olds who still, uh, you know, their heartbeat is, college ministry, we got to win the campus. Um, so we've never had to, f- to, to, to make that shift or fight for that shift. It, it was just there from the beginning. Campus life is all about, you know, a small group hanging out, um, kind of spontaneously running into each other, doing daily devotions together. So, so much of our Christian life was just outside and Sunday, like, oh, yeah, we should do what every other Christian has done. We should follow that tradition and meet for Sunday worship service. But, um, you know, not that we would characterize it that way. I think a lot of us would consider that like right. non- non-negotiable, but it hasn't been like this big thing that defines our, our, our ministry. And so we haven't put in like, like a like tremendous effort in the production right. of Sunday, Sunday service either. Because it's just not that that definitive or important for for us. Because because if I'm hearing you, the the priorities are clear from the jump that it's win the campus, and it, it's so interesting as I hear you talk um, about the daily rhythms, the proximity that there's there's this ideal infrastructure, there's the sharing, they're running into it. It's it's similar to prison. Because I spent eight years in prison on a on a prison campus, right? And so we're together every day. We're breaking bread. It's like Acts two for real. Like yeah. we're breaking bread. Um, we're. I mean, it. I mean, it was. And so when I got out of prison, and I went to a church, it was foreign to me. I mean, it was like foreign, and I'm thinking like, okay. Who's the dude in the suit with, with two bodyguards with two bodyguards at the front? Like, who is this guy? And can I meet with him? And it was like, no, you can't meet with him. And and who's the people that tell me where I can sit? Like, what in the world is this? You know what I mean? And it was like two different worlds. Yeah. And, and so I understand the proximity and the value for mission. And and it was like in those prison days of being in that prison campus the 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 exponential growth in me because of the proximity with seasoned christ followers i had this guy who who um um was kind of one of the early guys who discipled me his name was clint and clint would always clint had a has a life plus 60 sentence and uh he 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 has chalked his mission up to being a missionary for the rest of his life he'd he'd say it that way that i'm a missionary uh doing life um and and this is my mission field for the rest of my life and and to see the amount of disciples that he's made and where they are today on this side of heaven 
is is amazing and so yeah. I, I just see those wow. similarities you know what i'm saying yeah 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 it's beautiful man tell us before we land ed can you tell us maybe maybe a cool story of like what god is doing through through this ministry that would encourage the, the hearts of people watching um In, in 2017, um, we started um, a five, in five cities, seven campuses from Virginia down to North Carolina. And um, uh, the number of um, salvations, um, first, time, first time salvations, people who are atheists who are, um, or um, non-Christian church kids who just biding their time until college and they were going to they were going to jump out of church and go headlong into the world um, and, and, and ran into us. And um, this is the year that the first crop are graduating because that was 2017. And um, out of them, we have a, a program called the CPI program, church planting intern program, where new graduates from college can, uh, can volunteer for one year. And uh, we give them subsistence stipend and they, they all live together and help launch new church plants. And we haven't done that every year, but we did it this year. And um, out of our East Coast church plants, I think more than 10 of the seniors uh, volunteered for this. And uh, they're putting their career and everything on hold for a year uh, saying, I remember those guys that came out from California. Uh, and if it weren't for them, um, I wouldn't be saved. And uh, my eternity uh, has been altered. And so I want to do what they did on these new campuses. So, yeah, I mean, that comforts me. Something's working right, you know? Um, wow. That's so, powerful. Yeah. And I see, I see a question in the chat. Do these church plants typically own facilities? The answer is no. Um, I think facilities ruin your X2 dynamic and uh, we've had facilities and then we notice everything moving to those facilities. If you've got a facility, you want to use it just like guys, you know, when they buy a new power tool, like they had no plans to do anything except now that I have this power tool, I got to go out and cut something. Like if you have a facility, it's too tempting of a tool and you want to fill your facility. So we try, like we have some facilities, we try really hard to um, uh, not, not rely on facilities. We do, you know, we go searching for venues, whoever will have us. But one thing cool that we do is we um, try to get um, retreat sites or uh, getaway homes uh, in some place out in nature that's beautiful, uh, because I think um, the college students really need that to get away from their screens and to uh, have an extended time, you know, uh, hopefully somewhere where the cell phone reception isn't good so that they're, they're spending it. We realize like a weekend trip will lower barriers and, and get people to open up uh, and people, I think, need that kind of time. So we do own uh, these these cool homes in beautiful spots. So <laughs> that's that's one thing. And um, if I might just um, uh, say say this, uh, since we're, we're we're trying to land the plane here, um, I I know that you can sort of take my story as a as an interesting uh, story that's very particular, and it is. I mean, everybody's story is particular, uh, but it's not ne necessarily an ethnic story or an Asian story or even a collegiate story. It is all of those for sure. It's all of those. But I think there, there are things about our particular story uh, from which generalizations can be made. And I think because the world is rapidly changing and souring 
on Christianity for sure. Um, the, these weird things that, um, that, that, that characterize our churches, you know, um, like the dude in the suit and stuff. Uh, there are a lot of really strange things that we do just out of tradition that, and maybe that's a cost we could have borne uh, before, but that's not a cost we can bear anymore. And um, because we're in this weird collegiate context, I think we had permission to be um, iconoclastic and, and like kind of just invent the simple way to do church. But now I think that's not just a good idea. It's like, that's the only way we're going to survive. We can't bear these costs that we're imposing on ourselves, uh, such as, uh, you know, all these requirements before you can be a church plant or like one way to do church planting with a big launch service and all of these sort of fixed ideas that we have. I think we have to get a lot more nimble and kind of discover some evolutionary advantage where a lot of people are doing nimble things and then maybe we discover something that can scale. And so that's where we are at a church. We don't think we figured out collegiate ministry because um, the environment's changing rapidly. And so um, I, I just think being overburdened by all of these things is really slowing us down and we really can't afford that. Mm. Well, Ed, man, it is, uh, it's been, you know, I always sit in amazement as I land the plane um, in conversations like this, because I always feel, I always leave feeling like, man, I need two or three more hours with Ed and Ralph. And I just always feel that way, man. So thank you for, man, just sharing your heart and sharing your story. Um, I'm watching as, as the young fella in the, in the group, I'm watching, man. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm inspired by uh, what God is, is, uh, is doing through y'all and how, how that might even, um, alter the way that I, I lead and so forth. So thank you so much, Ed, for, for spending time, you and Ralph on your vacation. I am less, I am, I am less spiritual than either one of y'all because I'm going on vacation uh, next month and exponential will not hear a peep from me. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Good idea. <laughs> but I, I will say this. Um, speaking of next month, May 19th, uh, exponential is hosting the reset summit. It's going to be an amazing opportunity for leaders to get together uh, virtually to learn uh, how we are navigating a post uh, you know, navigating being church leaders in a post pandemic kind of post-COVID world. So go to multiplication.org if you're watching or catching a replay. Uh, gather some people together, gather your team together and uh, sign up and allow God to use uh, yet another uh, convening to, to spur inspiration and learning and equipping. So thank you guys for joining us on Practical, Most Practical Multiplication and we'll see you soon. Thanks, Ed. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Nice meeting you guys.